Spotlights, Camera Exploitation, your guide to exploitive cinema. This is the pod boss, TJ Bowser, and joining me as always is my doppelganger, Kangabanger, from down under, Mr. Brody Kane. Eddie, Eddie, you fucking dull bastards. And Mr. Slick Nick. What a mess. Today, we have a doozy of an episode, but first, it's time for your slice of life. Brody, how goes it? It all goes, Mr. Bowser. It all fucking goes, as I say every week flat out here and there working my ass off. Speaking of, uh, I had a really interesting uh, last week, actually. I ended up getting gastro, and that shit is not pleasant. I'll tell you what, that's probably the worst I've ever had it. Had the squits for days. Oh. Green apple splatters, and it was not good. Spilled my ring up. Fucking, she was coming out in all sorts. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah, had to paint a pretty picture for you guys. So, yeah, hopefully. As, uh, as my father would call it, shitting through a screen door. Diarrhea. <laughs> nah, but anyway, fucking, yeah, so she was an interesting week, yeah. Oh, I ended up buying uh, the Babadook from, well, it was like a little box set from uh, Second Sight Films. Oh, come on, so. you could see the Babadook better than that. The Babadook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my fucking voice doing uh, that. Anyway, any fucking <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd treat myself to uh, something from Second Sight Films. I've been loving what they've been putting out at the moment. I mean, this will be the second box uh, that I've bought from. I think the first was Lake Mungo. So, yeah, very excited to get it. I, they sent us um, the other day, so it might, might be here in two weeks. But other than that, yeah, watch uh, this fantastic film. Um, it's good to actually watch it again. It's been a hot minute since I've seen it. And, uh, yeah, how about you, Slick Nick? How you been, mate? Not too bad, my man. Uh, yeah, pretty much just work um, all all week about that much. Uh, procrastinating on chores after work because work has been enough that I've just been tired as hell. Uh, really not a lot. <laughs> watching this. I did actually uh, start watching Boardwalk Empire, though, because I never watched that uh, back that? when it was coming out. It's an HBO show starring Steve Buscemi uh, about basically like the illegal distillery trade during the Prohibition. Uh, Al Capone and, I and all Steve that. Steve Buscemi today. You did? I don't know if you saw my, in the louder chat. I was like, he on my way to Sheets. And I held this door open for this dude and he turned around and he looked like Steve Buscemi from Airheads. And I was like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it's you. <laughs> yeah, if you watch Boardwalk Empire, you see a lot. Of Steve Buscemi. <laughs> More of him really good than you would think. He's fantastic in it. It's actually really good. I'm about halfway through season one, I think, so far uh, this week, and it's been fantastic. Um, but yeah, that, that's really about the extent of everything I've done this week. It's been pretty quiet. So uh, other than, you know, running into Steve Buscemi, uh, what, what have you been up to, TJ? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, eh? Watching films, man. Tons and tons of films. Doing a lot of podcasting stuff. I got some new films today. I ordered St. Bernard and All the Colors of the Dark from Severn Films. And then I also ordered Crimes of the Black Cat from Cauldron Films and I can't wait to get those in. And I can't wait to talk about this week's movie. That is Next of Kin from 1982. To my daughter, Linda Mary Stevens, I leave my entire inheritance, all goods, chattels, and worldly possessions that comprise the estate of Montclair. And that is from director Tony Williams, who also did The Hum from 1974, a short film, Lost in the Garden of the World from 1975, which was a TV movie documentary, Solo from 1978, not Han, The Passion of Music from 2018, which was a documentary. It's sad that Tony never got to do another uh, feature film. Truly is. He did a really good job with this. Writers Tony Williams and Michael Heath, who also did Kyle and Summer in 1982, Death Warmed Up in 1984, Oh, hell yeah. My Grandpa is a Vampire in 1992, in a small life in 2000. Cinematographer Gary Hansen, who worked on Roses Bloom Twice from 1977, which was a TV movie, Image of Blood in 1978, Bad Blood in 1981, and We of the Never Never from 1982. Cinematographer Gary Hansen, who worked on Roses Bloom Twice from 1977, a TV movie, Image of Death from 1978, Bad Blood from 1981, and We of the Never Never from 1982. Music by Klaus Schultz, 
he worked on films such as The Thruster from 1977, which also happens to be Brody's nickname from high school. Barracuda from 1978, Angst in 1983, and Mirror of the Planet in 1992. Makeup department Elizabeth Ann Farden, who worked on films such as Molly in 1983, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome in 1985, Crocodile Dundee in 1986, and Bullseye in 1987. Producers Robert Letet and Timothy White. Editor Max Lemon, who worked on films like Picnic and Hanging Rock in 1975, and Stone Cold in 1997, not Steve Austin. Starring Jackie Karen as Linda Stevens, who was in The River King in 1991, and Dirt Game in 2009. John Jarrett as Barney, who was in Picnic at Hanging Rock in 1975, Wolf Creek in 2005, and Rogue in 2007. Alex Scott as Dr. Barton, who worked on Martin Chuzzlewit in 1964, which was a television miniseries, Fahrenheit 451 in 1966, and Stopper in 1992. Gerda Nicholson as Connie, who starred in Bellbird from 1968 to 1974, a television series, Prisoner in 1981 to 1986, another television series, and Galopoli in 1981. Charles McCollum as Lance, who starred in Seven Little Australians in 1939, The Devil's Playground in 1976, and Return to Eden in 1983. Bernadette Gibson as Crazy Rita, who starred in Cop Shop in 1979, a TV series, Water Under the Bridge in 1980, another TV miniseries, Prisoner 1980 to 1983, a TV series. Robert Rowdy as Helvin, who starred in Cool Change in 1986, a Cry in the Dark in 1988, and Cracker Jack in 2002. Brody, take it away. A young woman named Linda Stevens, who inherits the ominous but seemingly harmless Monty Claire retirement home from her late mother. At first, everything seems normal. However, while on a day trip to settle her mother's estate, strange deaths start occurring in the home. Eventually, Linda uncovers her mother's diary, which details identical events 20 years earlier. It soon becomes apparent that something evil resides in in this house, and that something wants Linda dead. This film won tons of awards, including the AACTA Award in 1982 for Best Editing for Max Lemon, nominee, Mistfest, Tony Williams got a special mention, and Stigis Film Festival, and it won the Claw de Plata Dorada Best Director, Winner Winner, Chicken Dinner. That's all they could find. Boys, let's get physical. <laughs> Today, we have a delicious release from Severn Films from February 26, 2019, and it runs about 89 minutes. It's not rated, and it includes special features such as commentary with director Tony Williams and producer Tim White, commentary with Mark Hartley and cast members Jackie Karen, John Jarrett, and Robert Ratty. House of Psychotic Women, intro by Kier La Janice for Morbido TV. Extended interviews from Not Quite Hollywood. Return to Monteclair, location revisit in 2018. Deleted scenes, more so frames of deleted scenes. Before the Night is Out, ballroom footage from 1979. <laughs> Original theatrical trailer. UK VHS trailer. German theatrical trailer. Alternate German opening, which is the same opening that we got minus the ending at the beginning. That makes sense. Image Gallery, Tony Williams short films, and a reversible cover. The film's currently available on Severn Film site for $24 or Amazon for $19.98. Boys, additional information. Alrighty. <clears throat> so, um, you know, we uh, mentioned it a little bit, but a little bit more. Uh, so the movie is featured in the 2008 documentary, Not Quite Hollywood, the wild untold story of Ozploitation, uh, where it was praised by filmmaker Quentin Tarantino, who did call it similar in tone to The Shining, stating, which is one hell of a fucking compliment to give a movie and I'm not overpraising it. Uh, the film is a famous example of Australian film production. The director, Tony Williams, and screenplay writer Michael Heath are originally from New Zealand with the website New Zealand On Screen, referring to the movie as the first horror film directed and written by Kiwis that was ultimately shot and set in Australia. Going back to those uh, those frames we mentioned, uh, several deleted scenes, if not all of them really, um, from the film are believed by the creators to be fully lost or destroyed, uh, as stated by director Tony Williams during the opening of the Blu-ray release's deleted scenes bonus feature. So, basically the rest of uh, our information that we have here comes from the actual Blu-ray that Mr. Bowser just mentioned a couple of seconds ago. So, I want to start off by saying... Um, Tony Williams actually talks about crafting this story in a different genre. So he goes on to say, I wanted to move it 
out of the genre of B-grade slasher horror films and more into the psychological thriller, then that will give you a lot more scope with atmospheric filmmaking if you like. Then I started to work with the DOP, the late and great Gary Henson, on the look of the film to which he looked at the film a lot of Bertolucci. We looked at the last tango in Paris, strangely enough for the lighting, camera moves and colours within the frame. So he really wanted this film to have a certain style about it. And in talking about the camera equipment, uh, Tony says, we spent a lot of time making rigs. For example, overhead dollies that could track across the set with a camera looking vertically down. We then got a steady camera operator, Toby Phillips, involved. Now, in those days, steady cam was very new to Australia. We were terrified of it because it would take hours upon hours to set up. And might I just add to that, like, how effective those fucking shots are in this film with that. It's those tracking shots. I think that's kind of uh, at least part of where Tarantino got that sort of, like, shining style. Yeah. Is the, the tracking shots. So I think we mentioned in Dress to Kill, around the 1980s, where they really started to introduce Steadicam into film. So <laughs> I guess, what, 82 is whenever Australia started using it, Brody? <laughs> Pretty much. Well, yeah, well, I, yeah, I think in that interview, he did elaborate a little bit more on it and yeah basically said around 82 is when they were starting to get that stuff in um australia um and yeah but obviously it was a big thing back then that's why they, they were shitting themselves so. i mean look how prevalent it is in today's filmmaking well the steady cam shot uh, yeah that's it no more need you, can't have a, <laughs> you can't have a movie without stabilization at this point <laughs> like anymore i bought a gimbal today <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say, the man right here just bought a piece of steady game equipment, literally today. So yeah, Tony Williams talking about the set design. So we, we built a set for the whole interior of the house and along the top of the various rooms. Obviously, we laid out these rails so that the camera could be supported from above on tracking devices with the rails on top of the set. So this meant that we were shooting about 120 frames with five people on ropes either side of the dolly running fast as they could to keep up with the actor, to which it worked out pretty well. So I'm guessing that is directed to the scene um, after she runs out of the bathroom near the end. So that was like, oh, makes sense. Extremely effective shot. It, it is. It's really good. Um, I think so. I think you're right. I, th- I think it is the tracking for the shot after she runs out. Um, okay. Uh, well, in, in kind of where that shot sort of goes. So, uh, Tony, um, referencing the ending shot of the film as well. Uh, he said the idea was that the camera would crane from a high angle as the girl would come out of the diner. The camera tracks into the back of the truck until we're looking at her through the back of the truck window. And then as we pan back to see where we've just been, the whole building blows up. The special effects guy pushed the button and we had not planned around that. So the explosion showed a reflection on the sign. And by the time we pan around, most of it was over. The public saw the ending shot and loved it. I being one of them. (laughs) That was not from Tony. That was me. Not seeing it until the end was brilliant. I agree with him wholeheartedly. Absolutely. Fucking, I think there was a little bit more to um, that I should have mentioned in the notes, and it was that the, there was a guy on set who actually built. I'm pretty sure it was this special crane for that, or there was some sort, uh, some sort of special camera equipment. A jib, that's right. He did too. Yeah. So he built this fucking jib, and he spent months on making it. And then when they went to pull that shot off, and it came this um, beautifully disguised, unwritten fucking thing in the script, he um, <laughs> the bloke broke down on set. He was like crying because he'd spent so long making it, and they never fucking got to use it. <laughs> oh, poor guy. <laughs> I hope he still got paid well for making it. Shit. <laughs> Damn, he didn't even get to fucking use it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, basically, um, Tony uh, talks about releasing of the film and like, the legacy of it even today. It, it, he, he quotes, sorry, he states, it didn't have the loving hands on care from the group of filmmakers and producers that another film might have had. As in other words, once we had finished it, we edited it, and it was completed. It just disappeared. It went off to a few festivals, which I didn't even know that it was going to. (laughs) It went to Stages and won Best Director. Max Lemon won Best Editing at the AFI Awards. But it just vanished from sight, and we all sort of lost contact. It really wasn't until 20 years later it became a bit of a cult-following film in America, and then Tarantino discovered it. 
especially been raving about it and now it has this little cult following after all these years so yeah it was sad it, it would have been nice to see it on the screen yeah it really would um so, so kind of going into that talking more about the release of australian films uh tony says i guess i just feel disappointed generally with much of the film industry in this part of the world there are so many australian films that don't get a release because they're competing with hollywood and i think if we spoke a different language in australia all of our films would be seen but because we speak english we have to compete with big american pictures is that wrong i mean yeah. um I, yeah well i found i found this um this next bit of information uh pretty pretty uh fascinating it was when tarantino was doing his uh release of the hateful eight and he was doing it down in melbourne here so yeah basically uh when asked uh in an interview about exploitation storytelling and his favorite Australian films in the interview with Screen Australia. Mr. Tarantino goes on to say, well, oddly enough, in a weird way, a lot of people have said, and I guess I have that to thank for my influence in film growing up, is that I have two parents that are foreign art, cinema, and exploitation movies, and? to which I've always been trying to meld the two together for the majority of my career. And I guess one of the things that I always really responded to in Australian cinema is that they seem to be made up of these two parents. Now, my top three Australian films are going to be picked off the top of my head. So number one is Richard Franklin's Road Games. The second would be George Miller's original Mad Max. And there's a third film that I'm a real big fan of and it's called Next of Kin. That stars John Jarrett and it literally is a horror film quite unlike any other. I talked to John Jarrett about it because the director didn't do another movie after this and I think they were an industrial filmmaker that was able to put a movie together. I barely remember the story to tell you the truth. I know it focuses on a young woman and John Jarrett is her boyfriend but the tone I remember is that it has a unique tone and the closest equivalent tone to this film is The Shining. There's no movie that really feels like The Shining, with the possible exception of this film, Next of Kin. It doesn't try and take away anything from it. They share no similarities, but there is the mesmerizing tone of dread that's in the film that I think is truly unique to it, and it's very effective. I think that can be attributed to the cinematographer's use of the long shot. Like, mm -hmm. it, there's long fucking takes, and they the really long do... Uh, shots, yeah. Actually, Dean Cundy does it a lot in Jurassic Park, where they do a long shot, and then they move the camera all in, all in the take. I mean, they don't necessarily do the reveal till the very end. So they'll move the camera, mm -hmm. and they'll have it over top of something. Like her in bed, where they'll, they'll start on the floor, and then they'll move up, up onto the bed. In Jurassic Park, they do it with the raptor eggs. Yeah. Yeah. Similar to that. It allows to build suspense. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, that's still being used. Um, if you guys have seen 1917, uh, I mean, that movie's famous as hell for the amount but I think of its long that that's, takes. But I think that that's where uh, Kubrick, Shining, and this have a relatively same theme is that the, the utilization of the long shot and the way that it builds suspense within the narrative. Mm hmm absolutely did you even did you did you also notice there was a couple of uh spielberg dolly pulls in this dude dolly the hallway oh yeah. oh i was like jaws <laughs> it's unmistakable <laughs> it's like we're just revealing a fucking empty hallway what's the reveal it's Nothing. disorienting as That's fuck and it just still fucks with you yeah it's an empty hallway it still fucks it's with creating you. the motion without motion it's 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 truly unsettling vertigo don't <laughs> <laughs> say that movie <laughs> um yeah uh so I, I guess going into uh tarantino's thoughts on the film uh tony does say well it was interesting that tarantino said it had reminded him of the shining because i had not seen the shining at the time uh, but what is significant is that I did want the film to have a European feel. Gothic, you mean? <laughs> it says European. I'm reading the words. <laughs> European, aka Gothic. Yeah, could be Gialli. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's it's. I'll, I'll and I'll talk about that because <laughs> I will explode <laughs> all over us. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I just Knowledge. also want to give a shout out in that in the fucking additional information. There is a very tasty beer in this film, and I've just got to fucking say it. Melbourne Bitter, if you are listening to this, I want a lifetime free supply since I'm promoting this for you. Sponsorship. Sponsorship, whatever. Just give me that delicious beer. I've got to put it out there. Just go, I, had, I had to say it. I had to say it. 
Fuck Melbourne beer, mate. Melbourne's do, better. Don't they have a, a jingle? No, they don't actually. Oh. No, we're gonna. Do you do you want a lifetime supply of stubbies or tinnies? Oh, look at fucking Nick. <laughs> <in fucking state. laughs> I, do, I, I like stubbies more so, um, but I'd, I'd be still happy with tinnies. A few, few uh, nice cold tinnies. Fucking Nick, I'm impressed, mate. You better doing your homework. <laughs> He fucking he knows how to use Google. <laughs> not looking at the Wikipedia bitter right now at all. I mean, stubbies and tinnies. I'm assuming they're the same amount of liquid, so it's probably just the same as we've got the same like bottles and cans, and the bottles are always better, unless it's uh, Bud Light uh, Platinum. In which case, when we do this many Ozploitation films, I'm surprised it took this long for VB uh, to be brought up. <laughs> Well, yeah. No. Well, yeah, because the majority of all the other fucking films that we've done have been in other states. And um, mm. to be fair, oh, well, I mean, Mad Max was Victoria, but they don't drink any piss of that. So, mm. um, oh. no, sorry, I just have to point that out. <laughs> totally on par That's with the, the rest of our stuff, so. <laughs> I was surprised uh, at the end when he's like, when the kid is trying to offer Linda uh, snacks over and over again, and he's offering just like everything they've got. And I'm like, he did not once offer her Tim Tams. <laughs> were Tim Tams even a thing in the early No, that one, no, no, I actually had Tim Tams before. Those things are fucking delicious. Oh, they, they are. Do you know yeah. what you fucking need? You need a cup of more. I don't know if you just get Milo over there. Or, anyway, you probably don't, but hot chocolate. So. so if you get a fucking cup of hot chocolate, get a Tim Tam, mm. wipe the ends off, and use that as a straw. And you're like, I've heard, yeah, I've heard of that, actually. <laughs> okay, I got to try that. I was say, the closest we'll have is I, I got to do it with a cup of fucking Swiss. Miss, but yeah, I gotta try that. I've, I've, I've straight up ordered Tim Tams from Australia before, the same as I've ordered fucking Jaffa cakes from the UK. <laughs> yeah, it's good shit. Yeah. Well, uh, boys, let's yeah. talk about it! <laughs> So, favorite performance of the film, Brody Kane. Well, I'd have to give it to our lead, Jackie Karen. I mean, she's great in this film. Oh my, right? She she really do you know what she do you know what I really like though is that she can hide emotion extremely well. Um, you know, her presence on screen is captivating but it also i guess comes down to the style of filmmaking with tony um like like he was saying earlier he really wanted to do something different and i think he succeeded um you know she really pulls the audience in with her charm and by the time the credits roll we see her like have changed into this badass final girl and even yet still she still shows no emotion like yes it has affected her but it's just she facial expression i don't know it's it's really a dark gothic aesthetic. I read somewhere that oh. there's seven kills shown that Rita and the boy claim seven on yeah, screen. Right. Well, I mean, she did have her fucking boyfriend come at her dead on a fucking wheelchair. That was no, so Barney got rolled out, bludgeoned. Um, we see, well, wait, on screen deaths or like on screen, the kill itself? Because we see yeah. a lot of bodies, yeah. but. Referenced or shown. Just like all of that, like seven total. Like Rita has set a kill count of seven, I guess. So, guy drowned in the bathtub at the start. Connie, Barney, Dr. Barton. Flashbacks. There was one of the. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm forgetting about the flashbacks. Yep. Okay, that was it. There's seven because remember, there's also the ball one. Yeah. Yep. Well, was it Rita or her um, fucking mongoloid son? The mongoloid son wouldn't have been flashback. <laughs> that would have been Rita. No, no, no. But for the the the, the, the no, that's what I said. It, it was Rita and and that that oh, yeah. the boy. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Kelvin killed Barney because yeah. it looked like when Barney got rolled out. He'd been like bludgeoned with the hammer and Kelvin had the hammer. It makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Because Barney's downstairs, burst through the door. Uh, Rita's upstairs doing the weird fucking thing in the chair, putting on the coat, <laughs> standing at the desk, going, "Oh, she's gonna be." so scared and then looking out the window like oh I'm gonna spook my niece so hard <laughs> when her and my dipshit son get up <laughs> fucking A how about you guys what do you think 100% Linda it, it was definitely Linda um, I was like Barney is a close second I, I was gonna say I fucking love Barney I love Barney and then to well, find Barney's out fun. that that's fucking Mick Taylor that just fucking crushes my little heart <laughs> and he goes from being the 
the lovable dude and the crazed maniac. <laughs> Man, I like I well, wanted to drink. So good, you know, I wanted to drink a VB with him. He just seemed like a guy he just wanted to hang out with, and like he knew how to uh, have a good time. And I mean, yeah, fucking right. And then he kills people. But yeah, God <laughs> oh, bless Australia. God <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless Melbourne. Yeah. But is there anything yeah. else you want to say about uh, Homegirl's performance, Nick? Um, honestly, I, mine is basically just going to be kind of topping um, a little bit of a, some additionals on top of what uh, Brody has already said. Uh, that sir, I think the that like kind of veneer she's got over her for like the acting, it's like stoicism. It, she's still getting affected by it, obviously, uh, especially from the final scene where she you know runs back to the diner because and then Kelvin slams through in the van uh, and you just kind of see her like shut down initially because she's standing there with like her arms crossed over her chest like nope okay I'm done like I'm alright damn it are you really <laughs> while the kid is desperately trying to shoot the van with the shotgun and the whole time you're sitting there like Linda help the child <laughs> also in Australia they don't have Star Wars they have Space Wars they have space <laughs> or well, uh, or space war or something. Yeah. I saw space was war. Sweet. Uh, yeah. I was like, was this supposed to be a? Uh, Pretty sure I seen that movie, Brody. It's a different film. cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yo, guys, I think I picked up the wrong Star Wars movie. <laughs> Whoa, the lightsaber don't go in there. Okay. <laughs> Favorite set piece. Ooh, uh, well, it'd have to go to the Montclair Homestead, I reckon. Right? So, that special feature that is on the Blu-ray kind of shows you what it looks like in 2018. Still, just as gothic, just as beautiful, and just as fucking creepy. Now, Brody said that some of the interiors weren't actually shot at Ye Old Homestead, that they were shot elsewhere. So, things might not necessarily line up. No, not at all. Um, I think it was actually in the additional information, even like... um. Tony Williams said how they built a set design uh, in Melbourne. Um, well, for the for the interior stuff. So, but I do believe you'd almost have I to do rig that overhead shot. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hundred percent. And I saw um, actually, like, I mean, we don't all don't like take IMDb by gospel. However, when I looked up the locations for this film, IMDb was telling me that some of the interior locations of this film film somewhere in Melbourne. It did tell me the name of the street. Well, actually, give me the actual address of the fucking house. But I think that was another old homestead. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think they built the majority of the interior stuff on um, soundstage. So, but yeah, yeah, no, like um, the Montclair homestead today, uh, beautiful location. Uh, a lot of weddings. Um, yes. I've been booked there, like venues and stuff. So I'll have to, when I go back home, you know, might do the rings. When I'll you bend. enter it nowadays, there's two separate driveways. Uh, one, one's for staff and then one's for guests doing the, uh, the weddings. It's interesting. Yeah. It's, um, well, I, I guess it's fucking full on. Big enough to yeah. do that. Yeah. It's pretty full on. I have been to the pub that you do see Barney for the first time. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, really? Cosmopolitan. Yeah, yeah. It's up in um, Trenton, um, just out of Melbourne. So, beautiful area. Really nice. So, that, that was pretty cool to see. But, yeah, what about you guys? What do you reckon? Yeah, uh, that fucking the nursing home, dude. Too fucking cool to not yeah. say that. It, it is the focal point of this and very similar to like the Suspiria school or even the Psycho House. This is just super iconic and the shit that goes on inside is just terrifying. So, yeah. Yes. The, I think the outside got, matches that. Oh, for sure. I got big Suspiria vibes every time she was going up that spiral staircase for any reason. When she's like going up and she's got the little, from the windows, the like little squares of light she's got to pass up through whenever she sees her Aunt Rita in the, in the window for the first time. She's a go back in and go up. 100% Suspiria vibes. He just like, had to explode. Look at him. I know what you mean. When you're, when you're like this fucking Australian John movie. I'm like, I <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I'm going to have to go with the, uh, we're going to have to do a double double again yeah. where we all chose the same person in the same. Well, wait, did you pick Barney as your favorite performance, TJ? Mm-hmm. You got okay. Right well, then. <laughs> all right. So, yeah. <laughs> At least we're, we're all in agreement on set piece for sure. Yeah. I mean, how can you not? We can't say the Australian Outback. Me. This isn't really highlighting that film. Uh, this is more like Razorback. 
like Quentin Tarantino said, it's more of an industrial film and it shows. This yeah. isn't a, this isn't your normal Ozploitation film. And I think that's why we're covering it because it's not your normal Ozploitation film. It's not like super like Mad Max. It really shows Australia. This kind of just other than showing like the kangaroo dude doing the voices and shit. And then the, it was a, <laughs> The the dude with the uh, <laughs> fucking koala puppet. Yeah. Oh, koala. That was a <laughs> koala. Yeah. yeah. I, I really see a, Is that a thing I down there? That. that that koala guy? Uh, I was gonna ask. <laughs> I have no fucking idea. Like <laughs> random shit that goes on down this way. I mean, it, it a... potentially be. But it's funny you should say um, when you're comparing the pair on uh, location settings. Like, I mean, you've got the the, uh, the desert of Australia, which a lot of people just right. assume Australia is. But when I grow, see, I grew up in Victoria, where it was green, exactly yes. like this, with old, mm-hmm. old, those old homesteads. I when I see a film like this, I feel that it definitely shows Australia. It's not just about the desert landscape. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, it is. But you can't it. tell right away. No, yeah, no, exactly. Like when, when and that's when what makes it see, special. Exactly, yeah. So when you watch Mad Max 1, when you watch the paddocks, like, uh, sorry, the this film and you see all the paddocks and landscapes yes. of like green grass, mm-hmm. that to me, I'm like, well, that to me showcases Australia. Yes, man. right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like big fucking country. That's like someone making a film about like the nature of the, or not making a film about, but showcasing like the U.S. and just showing the Southwest. Yeah. Like just showing the Mojave or something and being like, that's America. It's like, have you seen Maine? But it or shows Alaska? different than what the stereotype. Yeah. But it shows different than what the stereotype is that is associated with Australia and what is typically exactly. shown in exploitation or films that are made. Right. Exactly. It's, it's, I mean, you got Razorback, you've got okay. fucking Mad Max. Here's a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, when th- when you see films shot in New Zealand, what do you think of? Lord of the Rings. Fucking hills. Exactly. Hills. Hills. Yeah. Yeah. hills. Yeah, hills. Green hills. Very green hills. But when we do a New Zealand film on our next season, yeah. we won't mention it, but when we do that, you'll actually get to see what it is exactly like. Okay. It's much more than just fucking uh, green hills and yeah. hills yeah. and shit. So. It's interesting. So like a little geographic element coming at you from Light's camera exploitation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sure. So Brody, we, you and I talked about this, uh, the next one, favorite shot or scene pre-show, and we both agree on the same one because it kind of inspires some of our personal work and it's super, super iconic to us. And uh, Brody, you want, you want to say what it is? Ooh. Well, I'll, I'll say for another reason, why I like it, but then you okay. can elaborate on it. Yes. So the reason why I really like this death scene of Rita uh, is, well, I don't know if you noticed throughout the film during each intense and scary scene involving old people, there is no sound or music to scare the audience. It's just realism, of like an like an atmospheric, like just what what would you call it, Mister Basil? Just ambience. Yes, yeah, that's what you would have to call would, it. Yeah, yeah. No the lack thereof. Yes. They utilize a, silence as as a suspense tool. Yeah, they don't they don't bring it in to scare you when you you see these old people. Anyone? They dies, let the but, visual. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And so, but however, it's after Linda runs out of the bathroom, we get this. So you'll elaborate on it, but you get that fantastic shot. And then featuring some of the most disturbing sounds collabed together is thrown over the top. So it hits you and you're like, holy fuck, what the hell is this? Because you weren't expecting it that whole time. Mm. So I think sound plays a really huge part in this scene. And and it creates a fucking haunting scene. I don't even know what it is. It's like a bunch of screams morphed together, whatever the fuck it is. But it you, mm-hmm. It makes you you like you're yelling at the screen going disorients you. Yeah, yeah, it really does, and it definitely hits you for six. It's an effective scene. Um, but yeah, I'll let you elaborate on the actual cinematography of that scene. Yeah. So when I watch that scene, I see Hitchcock. I see Psycho. When you see the guy in Psycho walking up the steps, and then we see the cut to the overhead shots of Norman running out of the room in his mother's garb with a knife full on fucking extended, and then he stabs him. Like that overhead shot is replicated here, but utilizing the slow-mo technique that we saw utilized earlier in the film with the little girl. So they're almost mirroring that Mm -hmm. shot from an overhead perspective. And then, so they have it slow-mo. Now, I don't know if it's a frame rate change or if it's an actual use of slow motion camera. Uh, Like if they actually just slow down the footage or not. Uh, It is so awesome. The overhead shot of her flailing her arms. And then the way it transitions, I I almost want to say it's a steady cam shot of somebody walking down the steps as she's coming down them because the way it, it just highlights her movement and kind of locks on, but kind of right. 
keeps her within that that frame off to the right there, that very cinematic type feel. And then I think, uh, and then it kind of transitions out the front door. It's just wow. Yeah, there's just so much homage no, and suspense built up. In. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's it's really good. Um, I, I I also have a little bit on it. Um, before I do mine, that that silent going back to the sound for a second um that like silence kind of play to it uh the way that i kind of felt about it it almost has that sort of uh i know this has been used in film and television stuff before but it's that sort of like when you're outside and there's no sound at all and it's uh-huh. wrong it's off because it's like the, there's there's no animal there's no bugs are making any noise no animal making any noise no wind no it's just still silence when it shouldn't be so like for the whole movie there's been ambient sound and that lack of that silence definitely drives that anxiety that just anxious feeling home before cutting to just the off the rails you know screaming all the sound comes back as it's all disorienting and just you're getting overstimulated almost because you've got to readjust back so quickly after the complete lack of any stimulation from the sound but like brody said earlier her performance really doesn't unleash until that moment though she is kind of like you can see it like she's holding herself back as she's kind of like not trying to not over not over exaggerate the situation Mm -hmm. or make it more than it needs to be and whenever she does we see barney kind of collect her again because she runs out of the house the first time whenever she thinks those people are killing him and we see herself kind of collect herself so we see herself break twice in this film and that second time i just think having the cinematography like you guys said the utilization (laughs) of that unique sound design in conjunction with that it just makes her a super iconic scene oh for sure um, it, it is a fantastic one. I think my favorite still is going to be that final shot. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I agree with Tony. Um, the the explosion of the diner happening mm. reflected off of the like wildfire level warning sign was fantastic. Um, like it, it just it has a bit of irony to it, too, as well with the, the, the explosion and fire going up as you're watching it reflected off of a no like a fire ban wildfire sign like that um yeah no it's great especially especially having just come back from that road trip across the whole of the southwest u.s just looking at max fire signs the entire time everything's fully in the red the whole way and just seeing just the giant flames of a whole diner going up just in that as it pans back to it and you still have the aftermath of the explosion as it's kind of like settling out and everything and then it kind of pans back around it's just perfect the way it ended up being like, no, I noticed all that shit. I was like, there's going to be some very, very pissed off farmers. Yeah. <laughs> those flames are going to yeah. tear through those fucking paddocks. Did you see uh, how dry they were? Yes. That's the thing. Because like, it's not just that. It's it's the fire warning sign and you're looking at the driest fucking shrubbery that exists on the face of the earth that's not in like the Atacama or some shit. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm going to I'm gonna have to go with the, uh, the panning shot uh, for me on that one. Favorite effect? Edor. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to go with uh, oh, Linda blowing Kelvin's fucking head clean off his shoulders. You took mine. <laughs> yeah, I, did you guys expect a headshot, honestly? Like, I, I was expecting a torso shot with blood coming through the glass or something like that. Uh, did not see that coming. But I was that, expecting... The way that scene is edited is definitely... You know, it helps that scene keep goals. That was fucking. Oh, that was fucking great. No, I was I was expecting. Uh, well, the explosion. Except I was expecting something smaller initially. Uh, whenever the kid shoots out the the gas tank and you see it spilling out as the wires are like dropping down next to him and he's like yelling at her, Linda and everything. I was absolutely expecting her to like shoot near it and have the sparks like ignite the van up or something and burn him. And I was sitting there. I'm gonna fully admit I was absolutely sitting there yelling at the screen. Like I was like, Linda, just go up and blow his head. Oh shit! She did. <laughs> just watch she it level it straight at his head, and then watch it pop like a fucking blister. I was like, "Oh, all right, good shit." <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> well, <laughs> so yeah, part of that was I'm gonna blow your fucking cafe up, motherfucker. Just straight the fuck up apart. Like, goddamn savage. Now there's some Boardwalk Empire scenes that are on, on par with that. Call <laughs> back to my shit from the slice of life. I've seen a few of those <laughs> past week. Fucking Stephen <laughs> once again. Fucking A, man. What about you, Mr. Bears? What was your favorite death scene? Come to the eye. Yeah, nah, that's fucking... I probably should have chose that because, you know, me and my eye 
fucking thing on eye blue. I hate that shit. Same. The moment she looked over at the comb and I saw the points on the end of Again. it, right after she had had her eye up to it, I was like, Again. this is about to get uncomfortable. When we get to the next one, and I'll merge it with the other one, the eye thing comes into play. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Can I just unload now, please? Blow your load. Okay. Blow it everywhere. So, <laughs> thoughts on story, and I'll merge it with my impacts, and I'll let the boys do the round. Okay, so, Brody mentioned Mr. Tarantino says earlier that he kind of thinks that the themes match The Shining. And I can see that to an extent with the way that the, the film is shot and the way that, what is his name, Tony Williams? Yeah. The, way, the tone. Yeah. The overall feel now of you The can, Shining. Now, the, dread. the themes of this film, I think, are more cl- on par with that of The Jolly of the Spanish and Italian mystery films of the 1970s and 80s, or or even the 60s. I think mm. that the way that this film utilizes a false supernatural element and then also utilizes the flashback, utilizes the weird circle with the ending at the beginning and then at the end again, mm-hmm. just all of those different things. And then the boyfriend uh, having the, the crazy ant break out of a mental asylum and then have this mongoloid helper. That's This is such like a German creamy type fucking thing. It's such a, a jolly thing. This is an Aussie jolly. <laughs> this is amazing. This is like the first of its kind. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, there's somebody that called Williams Australia's Argento and he is everything that Argento is, but without the, the insane amount of style and color, if that makes sense. He's an industrial, no, as industrial comes, as in, yeah, the guy's not necessarily a feature film doc guy. He's a documentary guy. And that clearly shows in this. But also, this film's extremely effective. For whatever fucking reason, I don't know. Is it the long shot? Is it the sound editing? I think it's just a culmination of so many different things put into one. It's just fucking amazing. And now you want to say I think. You know, the eye thing? That's a Lucio Fulci thing. Two years prior to this, we got a fucking split of the eye and zombie. And you can't tell me that Lucio uh, Fulci work didn't inspire some of the story for this, including the eye stab. Just the themes, the way that the film's just paced. I just think that it's super Fulci in tone. And yeah, I think it has the style of Argento at times, while the, while the pacing and, and story of, of the Fulci film is. It's, it's, it's a weird Australian jelly. I was completely on. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's completely understandable. Uh, that, that, uh, yeah. I can be <laughs> that, uh, that false paranormal, um, like tinge to it as well. That one definitely felt extreme. Was it needed? Uh, okay. No. Does it, does it add an extra layer of creepiness? Yeah. Yes. It's it so it's cool. Great. It at least kept me guessing too, because like it's a, I was like, what is it? Is the place haunted or something? You know, especially with the whole, it's the theme of her reading through like her mom's diary and having the stuff happen to Another her. And it's like, jelly a, a thing. yeah, no, 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 so it, it, it definitely plays into it. Also, God damn you for reminding me of the splinter scene from fucking zombie. Right. I had repressed that. <laughs> and, and how many twists and how many twists are there? There's three. It's not ghosts. It's not just Rita. It's her mongoloid boy. There's three fucking twists and they hit you boom 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 right now right at the end and it's just all oh, one big stretched out fucking uh suspense yeah. full fucking film oh, that's good uh. it, it goes it goes fucking balls to the wall at the end with it it just goes full jollo it really does i mean you're not wrong at and all. then it has like this texas chainsaw massacre ending like a happy one. You know what I mean? Like a lot more happier version of that. Because she's driving off into the sunset yeah. with the boy and then there's the house is exploding or the, there's gas stations exploding behind him. It's just super cool. diner, yeah. Diner, whatever it is. I, I think it's a diner. There's a gas station. There's a with, gas pump out front. I don't know what they call that there. What do, you, what do you call those there, Brody? What's the slang term? Petrol station? Yeah, well, we call them petrol stations now, but back then I, I just call it a diner. Well, I mean, it's still a diner with a fucking fuel. To- we got them here. It's convenient. Like, That's what it is. Yeah. I'm here. I like half of the shit like between the city I'm in now and my hometown, which is only about 30 minutes away. You're going to see like three little diners with gas stations out front or well, get pumps anyway. So what do you guys think of the story? <laughs> like, I, 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 fuck, what more can I say that you already haven't yeah. fucking said other than the fact that I kept saying to myself throughout the film, I like how it plays with the uh, different subgenres like one minute yeah like you think it's a paranormal uh sorry supernatural film and then it turns that on its head and then it's like fuck this is 
could be a slasher film, a thriller. Like Tony said, that's that was his intention to make throughout the um, film. Mm-hmm. He wanted to do something different. But, um, you know, I, with, with Linda, I, I just got to say, everything turns to shit for this poor. I mean, every time she's happy, something fucking bad happens. And Damsel in distress trope. Yeah. It's like she comes out winning in the end, but fuck me, for what cost? Kind of. Like, yeah. It, it was, I mean, she lives, but like. Yeah. She, she kind of looks great. The relationship and he gets malleted. Yeah. But, 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 uh, but what? Why is this happening? All because she uh, got this house. That's yeah, it. yeah, exactly. All it was thrust upon her. It was thrust upon her for no reason. Mm-hmm. Was it yeah, her mother or Rita's death that caused her mom? Okay, her mom. It was her. Yeah, her mother. Yeah, died. she inherited it from her mom. So this is completely coincidence that Rita breaks out around the same time that her mom dies. So. Or does her Rita yeah. break out and kill her mom and then come back? No, I think it's. I think it's for like her mom dies of like natural causes okay. or something okay. Okay. at the start. Um, and it just so happens that I don't know, maybe they like caught wind of it. Maybe like Rita right. found out and was like, fuck you, this this is my place. Like you do your douchebag mom got me sent to a psychiatric hospital. Not, you know, addressing the fact she's literally insane and should have been in the psychiatric hospital. Um, which also explains her son as well. It kind of almost feels like it one of the twists is that build up at the start when you're not quite sure that it's paranormal and you think that it might be it's building up into being the shining and then it flips it on its head and goes ha ha we got you with a jello movie instead yeah the moment they show a dude standing in the woods and that's a fake out scene yeah. that's uh, that's super jolly like whatever yeah whenever kelvin's standing there the or whatever and yeah. fucking uh barney goes over and pretends to get stabbed or whatever even though Barney's it did yeah. look like barney in the distance did yeah, it really did like i can't blame her for it at all um but yeah that's- no, it, no, that wasn't Barney. Like- that was Mick Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fucking Mick. Pleased <laughs> <laughs> to meet ya. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you can definitely still, at least for for impact, you can absolutely see where that's gone now. You know, with the even just with the take of like you think the movie's going to be of this sort of genre going all the way through until you kind of get either to like the third act of it or so, you can absolutely still see that in plenty of movies. Um, even if it's just like the reverse, I think I was mentioning this movie uh, a little bit before we started talking uh, Neon Demon, which just kind of seems to be a regular sort of action thriller, which you can't be blamed for thinking of, uh, or maybe not an action thriller, but like a drama, a crime drama, kind of like that, because the guy had made Drive beforehand, um, which is just a straightforward crime movie, until you get to the end, and it's just like, Psych, it's a fucking surrealist horror film. <laughs> I love Psych. Such a good TV show. Oh, it is good. Yeah. <laughs> Psych. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess that's that's about where mine is. Uh, I already mentioned the 1917 long shots; those long takes still persist heavily through. So, Brody, how do you uh, feel this film left its mushroom stamp on Australian cinema? I'm actually a little bit uh, devastated that it wasn't actually well known back then. Um, I, I actually, when I was at film school, I spoke to one of my teachers about this film because I'd never seen it. I, I'd only heard of it. I said, look, did you ever see this film? He goes, I was one of the lucky ones to see this in the cinema and it was one of the fucking best experiences that I ever fucking had watching like any movie let alone a horror movie and me and him would always talk about this film and then I finally it finally came out a year later on Blu-ray and I got the chance to watch it and I was actually blown away by it and yeah back then I did think that it had that shining vibe but it wasn't until I started getting into more Giallo films that mm. I'm like the other day watching this I'm like oh this is a fucking love letter to Giallo <laughs> yeah. films and, and hence why Tony Williams said I wanted that, that European film yeah like, totally so, there now right yeah so it all makes sense the dots are connected, but um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I just wish it had a come, like had it been a bigger film back in the day. But a lot, a lot of Australian films um were like that. I mean, there's another John Jarrett film called Dark Age about a fucking uh crocodile that eats people up in the Northern Territory, which was kind of remade by the Wolf Creek director, mm-hmm. hence bringing him back called Rogue, which you mentioned earlier. Yes. Oh yeah. So you know, yeah. So um, I think it's a fantastic fucking film. It's one of my favorite um possibly Tatey films. Uh, because, but you know me, I love that old homestead setting. Yes. Very mm-hmm. uh, So I cream my jeans over that shit every day of the week. And like I said earlier, it's because we grew up with buildings like that back home. And I always found them fascinating, just rich history um, in that sense. So it was yeah, it was really cool to see this. So you appreciate the, the realistic and 
modern take of the film, but you're also prepped for the apocalypse with your sexy mullet. How good did that skeleton look, though? I've got to grow that motherfucker back. I've got to grow it back. I don't know why I shaved it up. I'm a fucking idiot. It'd be halfway down my back now. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I am ready for um, the apocalypse. Uh, yeah. Bring it on. Um, I will be in my V8 holding Newt, one of the last things. Well. <laughs> <laughs> the old Chrysler will get a fucking makeup. <laughs> yeah. It'll be all stripped back, like what you said when I first bought it. Just Mad Max that motherfucker. I'm gonna say Mad Max. You have a, what? You have a 300, right? Yeah, 300C, yeah. 06 model. So. The doppelganger requests toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I heard that clip and I was like, ah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Fuck it, A, boys. So let's rate this. And this week we got dead elderly folk in bathtubs out of five. Brody, shut us up. I'm going to give it a 4.1. Oh, going high this week, boy. Slick Nick, what about you? You have to stop taking literally my exact answers. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go above a four for this one. 4.1. 4.1. Son of a bitch. <laughs> okay. So uh, I'm going to give it a 4.25. That is an LCE score of 4.1. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Out of five dead elderly folks in bathtubs. And next episode is our season finale of 1974's Bob Clark's classic, Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I won't be leaving you guys this time. So prepare yourself for the arrival of Billy. <laughs> <laughs> I am Billy, motherfucker. <laughs> Okay, boys. So I can't wait to do the next episode and, of course, and uh, finish off this season with a bang. So, guys, mm-hmm. this is the Pod Boss DJ Bowser. Until next time, signing off. This is your doppelganger, Kanga Bang, all the way from Dan Under saying, I'll catch you next week, motherfuckers. <laughs> so, Nicholas, Nicholas saying, I'm going to be thinking about all y'all while I'm in that pool. Whoa, whoa, whoa. on and just be like, this is the first slasher film anybody that thinks Halloween is is stupid. Halloween anyway? It was like several, wasn't it? Yeah, it was four. In comes the hype mile. Yeah. 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 Also, also, Halloween would not be as good if John Carpenter watched, didn't watch Suspiria the year prior to making it. No, that's fair. Today we'll be at Steel City Con <laughs> if you want to debate with him about that. Oh. <laughs> I he was going to be like at full mast for the whole next episode. And I was like, I mean, I can't blame him. <laughs> it's like a boxing ring set up with a table in the middle of it. <laughs> and anyone who wants to jump in the fucking ring with him. <laughs> Dude, it's like proof. anybody. Oh, I can't wait. Terminator 2 is overrated. I can't wait. I can't wait. Actually, I'll argue with that right now that's fucking great film <laughs> it is great if you understand the first film it's not yeah it's not the best imagine standalone, not, but yeah, like standalone film you don't know anything about terminator and you watch terminator 2 what's your initial thoughts on sarah connor no you're not no no it's not no it's not tell me what to think this bit i know i understand that i understand that sequels that are incredible standalones godfather it, part two mad max aliens road warrior and mad max aliens you could watch I'm your just own, saying, I think the best sequels can stand like, alone. Aliens, example. Just saying. Evil Dead 2. Evil Dead 2. I'm just saying, man, the most memorable sequel should ah. be able to stand on its own without any prior knowledge, like the Star Wars films. You should be able to go in and be like, okay, I get it. Oh, no, that's fair. I mean, to, so yeah, Empire Strikes Back, that was the sequel to the first. That's the first one I ever saw. Mm-hmm. I had no knowledge of A New Hope before that, and I was like, that movie was fantastic. And my grandma was like, well, there's fucking four more of them. So. <laughs>